right, welcome back. This is the Change Law. We feature the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators of the software world. Today, we're joined again by Ilya Gorik. We're talking about Shopify's developer preview release of Hydrogen and also Oxygen. Hydrogen is their new React framework for dynamic, contextual, and personalized e-commerce. And Oxygen is Shopify's hosted V8 JavaScript worker runtime that leverages all their platform with the hope of scaling millions of storefronts. We cover what devs can expect from the Hydrogen framework, Shopify's big bet on React and React server components, the future of Shopify at scale with Hydrogen powered by Oxygen, and a world where merchants never have to think about scaling infrastructure again. Big thanks to our partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. We love Linode. They keep it fast and simple. Check them out at linode.com slash changelog. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. And get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly. Get a demo at launchdarkly.com. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Fly. Fly lets you deploy your apps and databases close to your users. In minutes, you can run your Ruby, Go, Node, Dino, Python, or Elixir app and databases all over the world. No ops required. Fly's vision is that all apps should run close to their users. They have generous free tiers for most services, so you can easily prove to yourself and your team that the Fly platform has everything you need to run your app globally. Learn more at fly.io slash changelog and check out the speed run in their excellent docs. Again, fly.io slash changelog or check the show notes for links. It's good to have you back. We've been obviously acquaintances and friends over the years, having done many shows together, talked about a lot of stuff you've done, post rank, speedy, performance on the web, your career at Google, now at at, uh, at Shopify, and just excited. You know, I reached out to you on LinkedIn when you made that move, and you said, well, we'll talk later. And so I think now is later because there was this big release, hydrogen is out there, oxygen to come, a lot of fun stuff happening. And I guess... You're combining a lot of the efforts, which is like performance, but also dev tool related in this release and what's going on. But one, just good to catch up with you. So welcome back to the changelog. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. It's always fun. Yeah. And even more, we're big fans of Shopify. We have our own. I'll plug our merch store. If you don't mind, Jared, can I plug our merch store? I don't mind. Ilya, do you mind? Please. <laughs> it's easy. It's merch.changelog.com. It is powered by Shopify. I think we use... The kit, I forget what it's called. Whatever kit, it's like the basic way, the CLI version of like deploying our theme. That's how we do it. We deploy our theme to Shopify via the CLI. Super easy. We have it stored in Git, of course, on GitHub, but then we deploy it via the CLI, and I love it. So it makes managing our stores so much easier. But big fans of Shopify, big fans uh, of you. So catch us up. You moved from Google to Shopify. What made that move make sense for you? Why did you make that move? What's so big about Shopify? First, I just want to say that I spent a decade or so at Google working on a number of different projects, and it's an amazing company with lots of smart people and amazing technical playground. So there's no shortage of opportunities and, and re- really interesting projects. But at the same time, I was always really curious about commerce. I've worked with commerce, large commerce sites, helped many improve performance, but I always had this inkling towards, hey, it'd be really fun to get like really hands-on and work on a you know, capital P platform for commerce. And, and Shopify is 
an obvious place today. Uh, it's emerged as a really big player in, in enabling millions of merchants to build their online presence. So it felt like a great opportunity and really interesting and familiar technology stack for me. Um, of course, I think one of the first uh, shows that we did back in 2011 was a, a Ruby server that I was developing, my team was developing called Goliath. Mm -hmm. So I was working on streaming and async HTTP server for Ruby. And of course, Shopify is a, a Ruby and Rails shop through and through. So it's just like an opportunity to come back to the, the Ruby tried. That was also very fun. I found like I, I rediscovered a lot of long lost friends. It's like, hey, remember we hang out at the or we hang out at this event back in 20, you know, 2008. The combination of all of those factors and the fact that commerce is only growing in relevance and importance. I think that's one of the themes that maybe we'll, we'll touch on today. COVID was an accelerator for commerce. Uh, it shifted a lot of commerce online. It became much more important. There are many merchants who have thought about, hey, I, sh I should get online. And then all of a sudden they had to overnight. And Shopify was there to help. I think that we, we did a really good job on that front. And yeah, so combination of all these factors enticed me to uh, jump aboard the Shopify ship. And I've definitely not regretted it. I've appreciated the scope of opportunity coming in. But seeing how the factory operates from the inside only gave me more appetite for the space because Shopify is not just a storefront builder. I think a naive view of Shopify is it's a place where you get an online store and sell stuff, but it's so much more because the superpower of Shopify is that it integrates all of the pain of doing commerce, which is very, very deep. Yeah, It's questions like, how do I do shipping? How do I do credit card billing? If I have a return, how do I handle that? How do I handle my customer database? And there's a million of these little things, as you guys know, because you're running the store, that if you don't have a system that actually works well together, you'll end up spending 80% of your time on that minutia instead of actually doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing, which is doing your podcast or, or selling your merchandise. Yeah. I mean, I love that we all have Ruby roots too, and that uh, it, it's it's a Rails app. I mean, it's a Ruby app now. We've talked about the the big rewrite uh, in Apache. Show. We'll link it up in the show notes. But mm -hmm. even the R and D around that front, like, what does it take to make the application performant for all the necessary reasons? I think you're absolutely right. I think the one thing holding that has been holding, or in any way holding Shopify back, would be the integration of developers. And I think the, you know, the React framework on the storefront is a phenomenal move. ThemeKit is great, but it's got its limitations. Even how do you like build locally and all these fun things? Like how do you give a developer a playground that is commerce related is the question that you've solved here. And I think that that's like, once you, once you solve that, like, it's just like, like floodgates. I'm, I, I'm expecting floodgates to open up because this is gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, th I think we still have quite a bit of work, if we're honest, to do to really transition into a capital P platform. But I think that's that's where you're seeing the company head, and that's what has me really excited. And just to double click on that briefly, I think the superpower of Shopify is the fact that it actually appeals to non-developers. Right? This is the like no-code commerce, yeah. right? So if you're familiar with the foundational myth, but it's not a myth of Shopify. Like every every company, every tech company has this, has this myth. And the Shopify lore is Toby, who's our founder. At the time, he was also a Rails core contributor. He, he was working on Rails, moves to Canada. He's stuck in, a, in an Ottawa winter and he has an idea for, hey, I'm going to open an online snowboard store. And this is like early 2000s. He's a developer, so he starts coding and he takes a year to build this thing. 
and he launches his snowboard store and he does have like, you know, a couple of sales and all the rest. And then comes to a realization that, you know, maybe the value prop here is not the fact that I'm selling the snowboards, but in the technology that I built to power the store, because unless some other merchant is also as technically proficient as I am, they have no chance yeah. in the space, right? And then that becomes the foundation of Shopify. And you can see this kind of woven through the product through and through where Shopify historically is optimized for your non-technical person who wants to start an online store. Let's make it as simple as possible. In a couple of clicks, you type in your products, you, you click publish, you have a website, right? You should not have to reason through all the complexity of that. And that's the kind of no code environment. And I think this is why Shopify has millions of merchants on the platform, because we make it approachable and you don't have to be a technical expert. Mm -hmm. We have a, a local friend we have here. We, I live in a small town in Texas, a small town outside of a big town. We live in Houston technically, but it's a small town outside of that called Tomball. You know about that, Jared, Tomball. Tomball. And uh, there's a, a street called Main Street in Tomball, like any small town might have. And that Main Street has a store called Kids Anthem. Kidsanthem.com is powered by Shopify. It's friends of ours. We built that from a theme. Yep. Like we didn't build the whole storefront. We didn't do all the technical bits behind it. But this is a small next door, literally next door neighbor friend of ours. We help get online. And her store is a large percentage of her revenue. Small town shop and tomball. Yep. So I think that's exactly right. And just to contrast that, right? Like this is early 2000s. And if you wanted to get on commerce or if you wanted to do commerce at the time, you would be looking at an RFP with hundreds of thousands of dollars to hire an agency to do an integration, and then you have to like navigate through banks. It's just inaccessible, right? And that's the problem that Toby wanted to solve. And I think we've done a pretty good job of it. And to your point, now that you can start with this no-code experience, and then we have the ecosystem of apps and themes where you can start kind of flexing and customizing, right? So you can bring in a custom look. You can you can hire a developer and pay them for a couple of hours of work to like really make it your own now, without having to build this whole thing from ground up. And I think this is this is where Shopify has really scaled and succeeded over the last, I guess, 15 years. And now we've built all this technology. We've built this platform. We run millions of merchants. And we're looking at this thing and saying, look, it's kind of ma like magic, right? Like our merchants don't have to think about scale or like running Kubernetes clusters and CDNs and all those things. We handle that for them. But there is a subset of merchants and a subset of developers, folks like yourself, who want to have a bit more control, right? They want to peel back the curtain and like tweak it. So could we use Shopify hosting infrastructure to run our own custom stack? It's not a crazy question, right? Historically, the answer has been no, you had to write liquid code. You can do a lot of things in liquid, but maybe it's not the right tool for every team under the sun. So now uh, I think we're, we're going through this exercise of saying, how can we bring out some of the components that power Shopify and make them accessible to developers in a composable way. So Oxygen is one of those pieces. Hydrogen is the framework that, that we're going to talk about, the React framework. And I think we're still at the beginning of this journey. So you know, you, you said, as you said, opening the floodgates, I think that's exactly right. Absolutely. And we still have a lot of work to do. Well, should we dive right into Hydrogen or you should give us some Oxygen first? Where should we start? <laughs> Let's see, maybe to start, we can talk a little bit about headless commerce and because oftentimes when folks approach you will likely discover hydrogen and oxygen because someone uh, maybe a product manager or a customer came to you as a developer and said hey i'm like i i keep hearing about headless 
I need one of those. <laughs> Can you build me one of those? So what is that, right? And it's a term that I, I, I love to beat up on because I think it's uh, unfortunately very much outdated and we just need to all agree to deprecate. So if you allow me a little tour down the memory lane here. Please, yeah. But where did Headless come from? I think the inception and why it's stuck so vividly in everyone's mind is um, around 2011, 2013. This is when the web is going through this transition from desktop only to desktop and mobile. And that was very painful, as you guys remember, right? Like we, we all have memories of trying to browse the web on our little mobile screens and like pinch zooming and trying to tap on a link that is way, way too small and you're missing it and it's just frustrating, right? Mm -hmm. It kind of dawned on everyone that the technology of the past, you know, the the WAP protocol and all, all the rest, like, is not suitable enough. Like, the mobile web it needs to be more capable, but you can't just cram desktop web. So now, where you had this tight coupling between the back end and the front end, and the front end was synonymous desktop web, you needed to separate those out. You needed a different mobile experience. You probably also wanted to explore a different mobile app experience, and you had a desktop experience. So the whole meme of like headless is about let's chop off the head, which is the desktop web, right? And instead focus on APIs. Like if we have a robust API that exposes all of our content, databases, what have you, business logic, then we can build these different experiences. So it's kind of an unfortunate term because as with any definition by negation, right? Like headless, I'm headless now. It's like, well, great, you have an API. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You have a headless storefront. The point is not to be headless. The point is to have many different modalities in which you can sell, right? It's the desktop web, it's mobile web, it's a mobile app. Nowadays, it's like VR apps, AR apps. It's you're selling on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. Like there's all of these channels that you need to be present as a merchant to really uh, drive commerce. So it's not headless, it's API first. And Shopify, of course, has been a provider of APIs since very beginning. We were one of the early adopters of GraphQL, actually. A fun anecdote, I was just looking at one of our API dashboards last week, and it's always fun to see the growth up and to the right and just like how is the slope changing over time. And recently we saw a peak of uh, 1000 QPS, right? So that gives you a kind of a sense for scale that Shopify operates. And this is purely API traffic. What's QPS? Queries per second. Okay. All right, coming into the GraphQL API. So Shopify is actually one of the largest, as far as I'm aware, public GraphQL providers. I think there are other apps like Facebook and others that, are, that operate an even larger scale in their private use case. But as a public API provider, I think Shopify is one of the largest providers, which is kind of a, a little known fact. And we have a really smart set of folks working on GraphQL infrastructure at Shopify. So Shopify is headless in that sense. And I think this is one of the misconceptions in the market. It's like, oh, Shopify is the thing I go to build my online store. Not quite. We also have the GraphQL API and lots of merchants have built really amazing mobile uh, and other experiences on top of that. That may be like part one. The second part is, and maybe a better replacement term that's now being used uh, in the e-commerce industry is this notion of composable commerce, which is hey, there's lots of different tools out there. Like there's some really good tax applications and there's some really good shipping applications and inventory management and asset management. They all provide APIs. Why don't we just use the best of the breed for all of them, stitch them together and build the best commerce experience? 
which sounds really nice, right? And uh, Shopify certainly plays in that space. Like many of our more advanced merchants use Shopify for a set of workflows, but then extend their capabilities via other tools by providing integrations with APIs or just custom code integrations and, and all the rest. The challenge though, as you know, as anyone that has built a distributed system will know is just the fact that you have the best car parts or you bought the best car parts doesn't mean you have a good race car. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You really need to invest into like a really solid pit crew and engineering crew to build out a system that works. This is the hard part of integration in all of these systems and actually keeping it up and running. So this is where I think Shopify excels or historically excelled because we integrate a lot of this pain. So you don't have to think about it. But if you want to go to this comp composable route, now you have a kind of a set of hard choices. Let's say you wanted to pick a different front-end framework, so you don't want to use Liquid. Sure, you can take a React, a Vue, or whatever other flavor. doesn't matter because you just have GraphQL. And you can build that out. But now you're not querying data locally from or, or from the same data centers as Shopify. So now you have to think about the latency of your data requests. And maybe you can patch that with pre-building all of your pages, product pages, right? So this is kind of the statically generated route. Okay, that works. Then your product manager comes to you and says, but actually I have, you know, a thousand or a couple of thousand products and each one of them has N number of variants. So your build tree just exploded in complexity. Mm -hmm. And of course, I also, also want to run A-B tests on top of that. And did I mention that I want personalization? Oh, and uh, make sure that you architect them in such a way that I can do really effective dynamic search. <laughs> and before you know it, you're kind of sitting there scratching your head, trying to figure out how to make sense of all of the soup. And this is where we, we, we saw a gap in the existing frameworks and tools and why we thought, hey, first, let's open up some of the technology that we built at Shopify, which is the Oxygen runtime. So Oxygen is the V8, so it's a worker runtime. Similar if, you, if folks are familiar with like Cloudflare workers or even AWS Lambda, it's a JavaScript worker runtime. More similar to Cloudflare than, than others because we adopted uh, web APIs. And it runs on Shopify infrastructure. It's powered by V8 isolates. And effectively, you just throw it. It's a HTTP function, right? It accepts an HTTP request. It runs your JavaScript code. It spits out an HTTP response. That's basically the entirety of, of its signature. But it allows us to run React code on the server or any any framework, right? So if you want to write your uh, kind of isomorphic JavaScript where you're using React on the server and a client, you can do that. You can just throw it over the wall to Shopify and we'll run it. And most importantly, we can run it without you having to worry about how is it going to scale. One of the nice properties of Shopify is it's a fully hosted platform. So if you run your store, you don't have to think about tomorrow I'm going to have uh, a big campaign on Instagram and do I need to provision more servers to handle that spike? Like we, we just absorb that traffic. We see enough of it and the platform is flexible enough for, for us to handle that for you. So in the same way, our hope is that you can just throw your JavaScript code over the wall, the server side code, and we'll run it on top of our platform. You know, And this is a game that we've been playing already for over a decade, so we have a lot of operational knowledge. So it's not like this is an entirely new muscle for us. Mm -hmm. But what is new is the fact that we're running the V8 isolates, right? They're, they're wrapped in uh, kind of Go processes and, and all the rest. So there's a set of new infrastructure being built out on that side. But otherwise, this is something we're very familiar with. And further, uh, because we're specialized in commerce, we have commerce-specific logic. So things like 
bot protection. Like, turns out if you really dig into commerce and you have flash sales, there's an entire ecosystem of malicious actors that I didn't even know exists. Like bots that try to drain your inventory, right? Like if you have a, a really coveted sneaker drop, which is a big thing, believe it or not, you get tidal waves of bot traffic trying to drain your inventory the moment uh, you launch your sale. And you have to build a lot of smarts to figure out how do you protect your inventory from those folks, right? Such that they don't end up on a resale market somewhere else. Wow. Oh, so their MO is to is to buy all your inventory and resell it. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's a very clear arbitrage play, right? It's like there's a coveted limited release, maybe a hundred or something or a thousand. And you want to buy up as much of it as possible because there's people are willing to pay big bucks for you know, a pair of well-known sneakers. That's right. It's like uh, Ticketmaster and ticket sales for a concert. Same concept, like try getting yep. you know tickets. You got to be there yep. the moment it opens up. And even then, you're lucky if you get the ticket. If it's like a coveted concert, for example, like it, they sell out pretty quickly in minutes. Hmm. Yeah, and that's nothing a merchant, you know, should have to. Yeah, I should have to operate a sneaker store, and you know, my focus should be on like the coveted sneaker and my customer base and the loyalty of that customer base, not the bot network that's trying to attack my inventory. Exactly. But the bot network's actually purchasing your inventory, right? Yeah. Yes. So you sell out immediately at the price that you named. I'm not seeing what the downside is for the merchant here, right? Well, your customers are upset. Yeah. No, the bot is your customer at that point. Yes, except that like you actually have your fan base. Jared's the bot writer, by the way, Ilya. That's why he's <laughs> he's the advocate for the bot because he's the bot writer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it is a good point though, right? Like, what's the loss for the merchant? You made the sale, okay, good, but you have your community, and like the the whole value of why does this thing have value is because you have community that believes and wants the thing that that you're about to sell, right? Mm-hmm. So if they're all lining up in a queue to buy one of these things and they're like they'll wake up at ungodly hours to just like have a chance at it just as adam said right they'd like to have a chance at this right if they lose at this game every single time they'll lose faith in your brand they'll lose faith in the whole thing and they'll move on to some other product so it is important that it gets into the right hands i guess maybe to make the game fair the purchasing game you're making the purchasing game fair yeah right like if you're a a bot that's trying to play a majority role in what should be, you know, an equal play, then we're going to, I assume, throttle you based upon some sort of knowledge or signature of this is a bot network based upon its traffic type. Yeah. And that's actually another good point, which is, let's say you are a solo tech entrepreneur that is willing to roll up your sleeves and say like, look, I got this, right? Like I know how to write WAF rules. The problem is this is a continuous cat and mouse game. Right, as with anything security related. And you actually benefit from scale. Uh, you actually benefit from working with thousands and millions of merchants and being able to observe the, the large traffic to build better signatures, continuously evolve them. And there are teams at Shopify that are dedicated full time to do this. Shopify is not the only company, as you said, like Ticketmasters and others have the same problem. Mm-hmm. And it's annoying that we have to fight it, but it would be even more annoying if you as a merchant had to now think about that when next time you have your sale. Yeah. Well, what you're describing really is like this technical challenge that, you know, if we can remove, abstract away, to use a technical term that we often hear, if we can extract away the technical bits that is the hard part that you could do at scale with dedicated engineering teams, et cetera, for merchants at large, is Shopify global at this point? I mean, I know we're here in the U.S. Is it global commerce? I know in a lot of ways it is, but 
Mm-hmm. And I'd imagine if you take that pain away from merchants at large globally, then you make the friction to get into the game of like selling shoes, transferring value to little customers, then it, it gets a lot easier. Yeah. So certainly the scope for all the work that we do is global. We are globally distributed in terms of our infrastructure. We have clients and servers uh, across the globe. Uh, so that's certainly true. I think it, it is also true that there's still a significant portion of our merchants that are English-speaking countries, but increasingly it's becoming much more distributed. And I think you'll see Shopify invest in, into other markets as well, kind of in, in a big way. International selling uh, is its own domain of complexity. And if you're a merchant that needs to work in multiple geographies, like that, that's its own complex world of functionality that you need. Some of which Shopify has, there's still um, lots more to be done. But maybe just to come back to the hydrogen and oxygen bits, right? So I hinted at one thing, which is once you go into this world of composable commerce and as a developer, there's a lot of complexity in how do I connect all the services together, one, and two, how do I take it to production? So oxygen is our answer to how do you take it to production? Because hopefully we'll just give you a platform where you just throw the code over and we just take care of a host of things that you don't have to think about. Right. In, in the same way that you use Heroku and you don't have to worry about, like, is my dyno running? In the same way, we'll take care of scaling this, putting a CDN in front, doing all the, the bot protection that we talked about and all the rest. The other bit uh, is the tools to actually build great commerce experiences. Our experience of working with merchants at scale, large merchants and, and merchants with sophisticated needs that are actually looking to hire developers is that they're not building static commerce frontends. I think you can definitely build really high performance, really nice, statically deployed commerce experiences, assuming you're a certain size of a merchant, or maybe it's like catalog size, or you have a fixed set of products. Mm-hmm. But once you move out the complexity curve into larger catalogs, and you want to do things like A-B testing, personalization, contextual pricing, multiple geographies, and all of these things that a lot of the larger merchants have to, to battle with, the tools kind of fail you today. Like they, they don't give you all the, all the right batteries included things. And you have to reinvent that wheel time and time again. So our hypothesis and you know, all of our data backs us up is commerce is dynamic. And if, if you buy that, um, I think you need to start with really fast server-side rendering as a core foundation on which everything else is built. So instead of starting with, I'm going to build my site and push it to the edge, and then I'm going to add layers of dynamic capabilities like A-B testing and all the rest. Our bet is actually the opposite, which is you have to start with really fast server-side rendering. And then, of course, you add all the edge capabilities. Like there's a set of pages on your store that can be cached for a long period of time. Maybe it's the marketing pages. Like, great, serve it off the edge, right? Maybe even certain products are mostly static and you can cache those at the edge. Like we have the tools for that, you know, cache control headers and all of these other things. We can do uh, that at scale. but to really power dynamic commerce with large catalogs, you need to collocate the data and rendering, which is one of our superpowers. So when you deploy to, uh, your storefront to Oxygen, you get the runtime, but you also get the Shopify database or your database, your storefront database, collocated right alongside, right? So when you're making those queries to resolve your GraphQL and, and other requests, they should be returning within milliseconds as opposed to having to traverse the public cloud to get to hit the storefront API and get that response. And that really stacks up, right? So we believe that, A, yes, it is harder in many ways to, d- to deliver high-performance dynamic commerce, 
But if you have the right infrastructure and you're, and you're running co-located data and rendering, you can go really far. And you know, that's how Shopify is built. What's up, friends? This episode is brought to you by our friends at Retool, the low-code platform for developers to build internal tools. Some of the best teams out there trust Retool. Rex, Coinbase, Plaid, DoorDash, Legal Genius, Amazon, Allbirds, Peloton, and so many more. The developers at these teams trust Retool as a platform to build their internal tools, and that means you can too. It's free to try, so head to retool.com slash changelog. Again, retool.com slash changelog. sounds really cool how you're talking about co-locating the data and the edge functions one of the things that i keep saying over and over again i spoke with evan weaver from fauna on this generalizing that problem of we have our functions running at these edge cdns and yet our data is still it's not co-located and that seems like a problem that you know lots of people are working on it sounds like with oxygen at least in the context of your shopify y'all are solving that for everybody now, generic solutions for your your random web apps is not out there. But in, in the case of Shopify, you're co-locating that and making that server side really fast. I think the best way to think about Oxygen is it's a function as a service runtime that allows you to bring custom JavaScript code, which will execute on Shopify platform with the benefit of having your commerce data being co-located, right. which just allows you to build better experiences. And that runs on top of our Shopify infrastructure, which is powered by Google Cloud. In front of that, we also have the CDN, the Edge CDN, and that is that has its own set of function runtimes. You can actually think of it as onion layers, right? There's a set of requests that you really want to render being co-located with the data. And there may be a set of maybe routing decisions or maybe even some, some simple EB testing optimizations that you can do or tests rather, that can run directly at the edge. I think this is one of the areas that are still being actively explored by the community. We saw some really interesting work done by Next. We're thinking about it with Hydrogen as well, which is when you're building your page or sorry, when you're building your website, like there's some set of pages that can run at different tiers in the network. At least that's how my mental model is. And how do you designate them to run in, in those locations, right? So you could say, maybe for this particular page, I don't actually need any data fetch. Or if I do, I'll cache it at the edge. I'll make that request once. I'll pay the cost once. And I'll, I'll cache it for a long period of time and revalidate it asynchronously. But for some other type of requests, like where you're actually personalizing, let's say, prices for your customer because they, they signed in, they have a loyalty program, and they have mm -hmm. a, a stacked set of discounts. That really needs to traverse deeper into your network path or into, into your topology, if you will, to hit that other endpoint, which is co-located with data and fast and, and service a fast response. Pretty cool stuff. So server-side rendering, let's get into the hydrogen side. So this is a React framework. So maybe let's just start with React and we'll we'll branch out from there because you're placing some bets on this. SSR is one of your, one of your bets you're placing. You also are selecting React, which 
Does that lock out a subset of developers? Of course, React is a large front-end ecosystem, but you do have people who love Vue. They love Svelte. They love other things. Are they able to use Hydrogen, or is this just for React folk? Good question. So we started with React because we asked our merchants. We talked to lots of merchants for what are their needs, what are they hearing, what are they asking, and the message was pretty loud and clear and not surprising, I think, to anyone listening to this podcast, which is React is a very large and vibrant ecosystem. And just simple access to developers, number of components, and all the rest. So they asked us to build something that helps them be more productive with React. So that's, that's pragmatically where we started. At the end of the day, the goal of Shopify is not to build web frameworks. We'd like to build a really good one to empower developers to build great commerce experiences. But ultimately, our goal is to help merchants sell. Right? So we're certainly thinking about how do we build all of these technologies in a way that empowers developers of all flavors, regardless of what your technology choices are, to build experiences that they like. As we're building uh, the React components for Shopify, we're thinking about how can we abstract them as web components and make them reusable across the system. Now, is that true today? No, it's not, because we took the, the short path. But we're already building, if you, if you look at how the code is structured and how it's laid out, you can see how we can make it modular such that even if you wanted to use a different, for example, React framework, let's say you're using Next, could you bring some of the hydrogen components? So hydrogen components are Shopify-built, Shopify-optimized commerce components. Right, like we, At the end of the day, we're building with a core assumption that you're building on top of Shopify and on top of Shopify data model. Mm -hmm. That allows us to specialize and offer uh, opinionated set of components. If you want to use that in another React framework, you should be able to do so. I think we still have some work to do there, and we'll get there based on demand and you know, folks willing to contribute. But all that to say, I don't think we have a strong bet on the framework, like what's the right choice? We were taking mm -hmm. a pragmatic choice, which is this is what our merchants have asked, right? And when we looked at the available set of tools in the React ecosystem, we felt like the existing crop of frameworks and particular ones for commerce don't solve the right problems or maybe don't stack the right decisions to enable this dynamic commerce experience that we've been talking about. There's a host of really good tools for statically generated pages, but like if you really want to build a fast, server-side rendered, React-powered experience, you have to hire some really smart people to make that work, right? And that gets very expensive very quickly. And so mo most teams fail, right? They, they end up with subpar experiences, and we thought we could help. So this is why we entered into the space and said, it's not like we've invented server-side streaming, right? Like, right. I think I was with you guys on this show 10 years ago talking about streaming mm -hmm. in HTTP servers. Yeah. So this is not new technology, but it's a new stack. It's a different stack. It's a different set of uh, choices, right? So now, now the question is, well, I do want to use React on the server and client. How do I do that while still delivering really fast server-side streaming solution that is not blocking on data requests such that I can enable the clients to quickly render at least like a visual shell of the page, provide some like loading indicators and, and speak to that user experience aspect of speed, not just the technical metric of speed, right? Like, did you get the fast time to first byte? Yeah. I can imagine us being two years down the road, having you back on Ilya. So we're at the opening gates of a new thing for you. You put six months into this, you work closely with the React Core team. So you've had very, multiple people involved with this project on how React works. 
But I can just imagine, like, to Jared's questions, like, you know, why did you choose React over Views, Svelte, and does it lock out other frameworks? I can imagine this at the beginning. And like any beginnings, you start from somewhere. I think that's exactly right. We took a pragmatic choice. So if you look at Oxygen, right, as I said, it's a thing that accepts an HTTP request and spits out an HTTP response. It doesn't matter what JavaScript code runs inside. So mm-hmm. any server-side JavaScript is fair game. On top of that, we have GraphQL, which is framework agnostic, of course. And now it's a question of how do you make the right decisions, architecture decisions on the server, how, how you compose the response such that you don't end up blocking the response for too long, right? So let, let's say you need to fetch product data, query some product description data, maybe figure out card discounts. Can you do those things in parallel as opposed to sequentially and blocking and stream that such that the user has a good user experience? So like that's a set of choices that you have to make. And that's a problem that we're, we're solving with, with hydrogen. You mentioned Next.js. Did you consider a similar approach versus all server-side rendering, but kind of a hybrid where they have some pre-rendering, they also have some server-side rendering? You mentioned, or is it just caching is your answer to all pre-rendered pages? Is like you've got a marketing page or your about page, instead of pre-rendering it, just cache it. Yeah, we actually worked pretty closely with the Next team. They're also innovating and pushing the boundary and React server components. So React Server Components, it's this new hot thing that the React Core team dropped as a Christmas gift to the community last year, right? And everyone got super excited because it's this RFC and it asks, answers the perennial question of how do we actually separate client and server concerns? Can we create a convention around data loading patterns? Because right now every React framework has to figure out how do you do data loading? Right, you know, get, get server-side props versus something else. Like you have to learn a new dialect every time you pick this up. Uh, React Server Components tries to answer that. And further, it, it adds a set of new, or opens doors to a set of new possibilities. Things like, it wasn't possible to do component-level updates before. So if you've rendered the page, right, and the user is interacting with the page, and you want to reload just a subtree, you can hack that via various ways, but there is no uh, well-defined convention for how the framework itself could do that. React Server Component answers that. It also, by separating, by creating this boundary between client and server, allows us to build better and more optimized bundles. One of the pitfalls, pardon the tangent here, of isomorphic client-server JavaScript is ultimately we're building these React applications to run in a browser, right? So there's a set of assumptions about browser capabilities and browser APIs being available. You bring that onto the server, and you go, well, it's not quite like the browser, right? These APIs are not available. And now I, I need to figure out if I only run this code, do I export these exports to clients as well? Like it becomes really muddy really quickly. And maybe if you're super judicious, you can navigate through that forest, but it's a very challenging problem. RSC, a React Server component, defines those boundaries. And at least on, on paper, it promises to solve many of those things. And it's still under active development. Propify has been one of the early adopters. We saw it, we played around with it, kind of tried to rebuild our own applications with that pattern. And we felt like it felt nicer than what we were using before, because similar to any other framework, we were inventing our own data loading strategy, right? And then we swapped it out for our CM. We're like, like this, it's new. So there's still friction for most React developers because, well, it's a new shape of API, but you kind of get these second order effects where it's, it just feels more intuitive. It's easier to grok. So even though it takes a little bit of RAM time for someone new, they see the file name and it says dot server and it kind of just clicks. It's like, oh, you know, I can infer what that means. So we have the benefit at Shopify of 
starting anew. We're not a framework with an existing install base of thousands of apps. We don't have to move them over into this new world, which is mm -hmm. one of the challenges with the React Server components, suspense, and all the rest. If you have an existing application, a lot of these things are not easy to adopt because they change how you have to think about data loading, different state transitions, and all the rest. For better or for worse, we're starting from scratch. So we're willing to take some opinionated and future-looking bets because we have the luxury of not breaking anything yet. <laughs> yet. You have the luxury for now. Exactly. And this week, uh, this, so this is maybe a good transition to, so what, what did we launch this week? This week, we launched the Hydrogen Developer Preview, which is, we're not claiming it as production quality code. In fact, we wouldn't encourage you to write production code. Like you could, nothing stops you, of course. But we wouldn't encourage that because we want to use the period of the next couple of months to really iterate on the APIs based on like feedback from real developers and probably break things, right? Right now is the time to dramatically change in, in backwards incompatible way before we declare it to be a 1.0 that folks can build production storefronts that run on Shopify. And then we have to maintain for a while. So this is a really good time if you're just curious about what is React Server components? What is Suspense? How do I do server-side streaming? Like go kick the tires on this thing, play around. And I think we made it really simple. For anyone listening to this, if you just type in hydrogen.new in your browser, it will open up a stack blitz powered dev environment that runs completely in your browser and you can just start hacking right away. It's a really awesome experience. That's cool. Yeah, give that a try and just see how it feels. And it, it, if you find something that's like really throwing you off, open an issue on GitHub or, or ping us on Twitter. And I'd be curious to hear how folks experience it. Side note on StackBlitz, we did an excellent episode of JS Party about that with one of the StackBlitz people. Very, really cool stuff they're doing over there. So we'll cross promo that episode. I learned a lot from it. And it's cool to see you guys using it in this way that really just lets you test the waters like immediately right there in your browser. Mm -hmm. Pretty awesome. Does that point at some sort of like a Shopify demo or is there data available to be playing with or what? Yeah, yeah. So. I love Stackblitz. I, I think I, I've demoed it to, to many folks and I think it takes most, like at least a few seconds to really click what happened because all they did is like they tapped the link or they typed in the URL and all of a sudden they're looking at an editor, right? So it's like right. it's a VS Code environment. Everything's virtualized, including your like server runtime. And under the hood, what it does is it basically clones the Hydrogen repo and Hydrogen comes with a starter template which is hooked up to a demo Shopify store. So right from the get-go, you have a preview pane on the right, which is the, the actual live website, with some example data, like product data and components. So you can just start fiddling with it, right? And change the, the product description or something else and get a feel for how it, A, feels to work with this technology stack, but also for how's the shape of the data laid out at Shopify and what are the hooks that we provide? We talked about components, right? So we provide a set of components optimized for Shopify. So they know how to intake Shopify GraphQL and render out uh, common things like variant pickers, product carousels, carts, and, and all the rest. But we also provide data loading hooks and a set of cache APIs and fetch primitives such that if you want to integrate with, let's say, a third-party CMS, because you're storing your marketing content in, I don't know, Strapi or Contentful, you can do that too. And we provide a, a set of built-in hooks for caching. So we, we try to build in smart caching strategies by default. So you don't have to 
add it after the fact. We we do it for you in an opinionated way, but give you the power to override them. Right. So we'll make choices like we will cache all third party uh, responses for up to 10 or 60 seconds. We will do async revalidation in the background. So stale while revalidate. So you don't have to block in every response. But if that doesn't fit your particular use case, you can just drop into the config and like change that to, to suit your particular needs. I love the Easter egg. You mentioned Toby earlier and the launch of Shopify being a snowboard store. I love the Easter egg here. I'm not sure this is intentional. I assume it is based on that, but like it's the store that launches in here is called Snow Devil and it's a collection of snowboards. Yeah. So just to bring it back, Snow Devil was the original name for Toby's nice store. And one of the internal missions, if you will, was imagine you were Toby and you were starting Snow Devil today. What would you pick? You know, back in the day, he was a Rails contributor. He knew Rails. So he started building, like he was working on Active Merchant. So he started building on Rails. But today, if Toby was starting to build a store and he was a developer, what would he pick? Right. And our hope is that you would consider hydrogen because there's a platform, it's optimized for commerce, it has the right hooks and all the rest. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a homage to uh, like yeah. <laughs> rebirth of Shopify. Even the art's very nice too, obviously. I mean, this is, uh, you got hydrogen is one of the arts on here. You got full, the full stack, actually not full stack, but the full stack. And it's a, a stack of, what's like just servers or something like that, you know, squares in 3D. Liquid, the liquid is on there. And then the first one, which is the toggle. I love it. <laughs> Attention to detail. Yeah, we definitely went uh, all uh, 90s retro on the on the website as well. So if you go to uh, hydrogen.shopify.dev, that's a landing page, which talks about kind of the high level value prop and, and features. I recommend checking that out. It also links out to some example repos for um, for example, Shopify Supply. Shopify Supply is the Shopify store with like various merchandise. So we're rebuilding it in Hydrogen. So you can poke around that and just see how the team is uh, progressing there. I mean, I want to go buy one of these snowboards. You got morning, evening, and night for the Hydrogen board. I mean, you've even themed the variance, you know, speaking to the complexity of what happens in commerce as you've got the variance issues with different products out there. I mean, I'm going to buy the night board right now. <laughs> A brief detour. So... Yes, we offer Shopify components, but I think one of the superpowers that we can do here is it turns out that humble things like a product carousel turn out to be incredibly complex, right? You start with a very simple, like, I just need to show an image for my snowboard. Before you know it, it turns into, well, actually I have multiple images. Okay, fine. I also have a video I'd like to play. Maybe you want to uh, inject a 3D model in there. By the way, it needs to be swipeable. Did I mention it needs to be zoomable because I really want to see that artwork on this damn thing. And of course it has to work on uh, desktop and mobile. So it has to be touch friendly. Obviously it has to be accessible and don't forget about SEO for all of these things. And on top of that, it has to be performant too. So don't just like blindly load all these images. You have to have a really smart loading strategy for how to do all these things, right? Yeah. <laughs> and before you know it, you're looking at a product spec for something that started simple, but it turns out to be incredibly complex. And when you audit most stores, you'll find that they fail across many of these dimensions. And one thing that we can do as Shopify is we can amortize that cost, right? We, we working with millions of merchants. We can do the research. We can figure out what is actually a good variant picker experience based on qualitative research, 
based on data that we gather from our merchants and transfer that knowledge as defaults into your variant picker. Does that mean that every storefront needs to use the same variant picker? No, of course not, right? But it's probably the right starting point for most. And if nothing else, it's a good reference point. So you can take that code and make it your own and you don't have to reinvent that wheel. This episode is brought to you by Sourcegraph. Sourcegraph is universal code search that lets you move fast, even in big code bases. Here's CTO and co-founder Byung Liu explaining the problems that Sourcegraph solves for software teams. Yeah, so at a high level, the problems that Sourcegraph solves, it's this problem of, for any given developer, there's kind of two types of code in the world, roughly speaking. There's the code that you wrote and understand, like the back of your hand, and then there's the code that some idiot out there wrote. Or, you know, alternatively, if you know you don't like the term idiot, it's the code that some inscrutable genius wrote and that you're trying to understand. And oftentimes that inscrutable genius is like you from, you know, a year ago. <laughs> and, and you're going back and, and trying to make heads or tails of, of what's going on. And really, Sourcegraph is about making that code that some idiot or inscrutable genius wrote feel more like the code that you wrote and understand kind of intuitively. It's all about helping you grok all the code that's out there, all the code that's in your organization, all the code that is relevant to you in open source, all the code that you need to understand in order to do your job, which is to build the feature, write the new code, fix the bug, etc. All right, learn how Sourcegraph can help your team at info.sourcegraph.com slash changelog. Again, info.sourcegraph.com slash changelog. And by our friends at FireHydrant. FireHydrant is the reliability platform for teams of all sizes. With FireHydrant, teams achieve reliability at scale by enabling speed and consistency from a service deployment to an unexpected outage. Here's the thing. When your team learns from an incident, you can codify those learnings into repeatable automated runbooks. And these runbooks can create a Slack incident channel, notify particular team members, create tickets, schedule a Zoom meeting, execute a script, or send a webhook. Here's how it works. Your app goes down and alert gets sent to a specific Slack channel, which can then be turned into an incident that will trigger a workflow you've created already in a runbook. A pinned message inside Slack will show up all the details, the Jira or Clubhouse ticket, the Zoom meeting, and all of this is contained in your dedicated incident channel that everyone on the team pays attention to. Now you're spending less time thinking about what to do next, and you're getting to work actually resolving the issue faster. What would normally be manual tickets across the entire spectrum of responding to an incident can now be automated in every single way with FireHydrant. And here's the best part. You can try it free for 14 days. You get access to every single feature, no credit card required at all. That way you can prove to yourself and your team that this works for you. Get started at FireHydrant.io. Again, FireHydrant.io. talked in the pre-show about like you know amazon having the the commerce cornered essentially and i don't think that's true like for me when i shop at like worldwide cyclery or kidsanthem.com which is the store i mentioned earlier my neighbor's store when i go through the checkout process and i see that shopify checkout process i can almost trust that merchant even more 
because I just know that Shopify's brand cares so deeply about this cool stuff. And this journey for developers, like you can go to any startup out there, the opportunity for a developer where they can go to make their next dent in the world, their next impact in the world is not limited now. Now you have the opportunity to build for great merchants on Shopify because you've enabled great dev tools. You said before limited by liquid. Yeah, you had some great tech there. Think it was awesome, but it had its limitations. Yep. And I think now with how the stack integrates on this stuff, like it's just, I said floodgates earlier because I think like the future is floodgates. Developers are going to like cling to this and build the next best thing for their neighbors. You know, that person who was an entrepreneur who should be on Shark Tank that may or may not be pitching their thing. And now you're buying their stuff because they have maybe one or two developers to work with them or whatever to make their Shopify experience amazing using great dev tools, not just cobbled together things that have been cargo culted from Ruby on Rails days that still work that are amazing tech. I'm not saying anything bad about Liquid, but it's got limitations for the next front enders, full stack devs making real impact. And I think that's that's why I'm so excited about what's happening here. Beautifully said. And it's not just Shopify either, right? I think what you said here is about enabling more entrepreneurship and more commerce on the web broadly. And there's a lot of different teams, a lot of different products making really, like building really interesting technology to enable that. I think Shopify has a key role to play here as both a one of the largest platform providers. And you're, I think you're seeing us make that transition from kind of a fully integrated infrastructure into more composable building blocks for developers, oxygen, hydrogen, more flexibility, even things like Git integration, right? It wasn't that long that you, you didn't have that. It's only within the last couple of years that we enabled that. So just allowing that flexibility. So if nothing else, I would like if this is a world that is of interest, and I think this is a, a world of a lot of potential as a developer, mm-hmm. you know, if you have React experience, I think it's a really sound investment of your time to learn a bit about commerce because as you said, like there's lots of merchants out there that, that need your help, right? So and many. it's a really robust e- ecosystem that you can make a really good living at. It's an untapped market, in my opinion. For developers out there listening, it's an untapped market. It's like uh, walking into a room with mad skills and everybody wants them. You know what I mean? That's what it is. Like there's so many merchants who trust Shopify who they want a direct-to-consumer that's what it is. Like they're, they may or may not be on Amazon. This is kind of getting in the weeds of like choice and entrepreneurship and how they choose to deliver their products to the customers they have. But yeah, I think there's just such an interesting path there because it's, if you enable more opportunities for entrepreneurs to succeed and to uh, deliver their products to wherever, I just think that's that's just a huge opportunity. There's so many people out there waiting for developers to make and deliver more tooling on top of this and to leverage what you've built to make their stores so much better. Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine that like at some point because of Shopify and the way you all think that you may have some sort of support mechanism to train or provide docs or some sort of university or course that can help developers get up to speed even more so on what React is. And this is now an entry point. We may say, I'm not a developer. I'm a Shopify developer because it's specific to only commerce, only on Shopify because it has that much potential. Yeah. So I'll plug a little bit about Shopify here because we can unpack this, uh, what you said, into different aspects as well. Right. When you think about the Shopify ecosystem, there is a huge number, millions of merchants today that 
are looking for some customization, right? And that could be as simple as I'm non-technical. I need someone who knows how to navigate through the admin panel all the way through. Maybe I need some CSS configuration in my theme to just kind of to tweak it to my liking. You can apply your skills today to that. Beyond that, there's also opportunity to build extensions to Shopify. So there's this whole ecosystem of Shopify applications. Same thing as uh, like iOS and Android applications. You can build applications that extend your backend capabilities. Maybe have an idea for a t-shirt store, right? And there's some specific logistical things that you need to uh, do to run that sort of business. You can build an app that tailors to that use case. And you can plug that into Shopify such that when a merchant comes and says, I have a need for that, I can just install an app and use that. And Shopify provides all the monetization primitives and all the rest. So there's the app ecosystem. Mm -hmm. There is the, I'm an indie developer, maybe I'm uh, an agency specializing in building this stuff. And then there's the, like, I work with a large merchant as a full-time or as a contractor, and they want a custom thing. That could be a web front end. It could be the next AR VR experience. Actually, we're seeing some really cool innovation with AR and VR. And it still, I think, feels like hype for a lot of folks, but there's some really cool stuff being built. Like if you've opened the All Birds app on your phone, yeah. you can actually try try on the shoes virtually just on your foot, right? Is it as good as real life? No, because you don't have the tactile feel, but it's still really damn cool to be able to swap through colors and just see them right on your feet. And that's really neat. And then there's examples uh, like uh, complex cons. So a large event for sneaker uh, community last year, because of COVID, they couldn't meet in person. So the whole thing happened online. It was a virtual world. It had commerce built in. It was powered by Shopify. So it's a game that you venture through and you could you know, walk into a room and go into a panel, which would be a video stream. But it's like it's completely reimagining the experience way beyond everything we talked about here. It's not touching React. It's not anything else. But once you have the right primitives, once you know how to think about commerce and the, all the possibilities it can unlock, to your point, I think it's just such a vast playground. So do you see this? I know it's not fully formed yet. Hydrogen, like you said, developer preview. Oxygen, not even available yet. It's, it's going to be a 2022 thing or maybe closed preview. What's the state of Oxygen? Oxygen is in closed beta with a set of merchants right now. So there are folks running on Oxygen, but we're still ironing out some of the infrastructure to do like effective routing, mm -hmm. some of the security bits and all the rest. So mm -hmm. our plan is to make it available in early 2022. By then, we hope that Hydrogen will be in robust enough shape as well, such that we can actually recommend folks to write and deploy production apps on top of this infrastructure. I'd imagine hydrogen requires oxygen. We're getting kind of maybe in the H2O world potentially with actual chemistry and considering which recipes make something. But you can go now to hydrogen.new and that's what you can play with. Like there, beyond that, you would need oxygen to throw the React code over the wall, as you said, and run it run it on Shopify's infrastructure. Like it's still yeah. decoupled. It's not ready to do beyond what you're doing, right? Is that, what, is that where it's at? Yeah, so the way I think about developer preview is ephemeral environments that you as a developer can spin up quickly, play around, test, figure out if this fits, give us feedback, and all the rest. At the end of the day, it's server-side React code. And if you can run server-side React code on your platform of choice, you can run Hydrogen. There's no like direct coupling to Oxygen. right? So in fact, if you go into our documentation, you'll, you'll find some docs on how do I run this in a Docker container? So you could throw this on Linode if you wanted to, or um, even try to deploy it to Cloudflare workers. 
our bet is that long term, in order to unlock the full power of dynamic commerce, you do want that rendering uh, and data collocation and capabilities. And most merchants don't want to think about writing Docker configs. And commerce at scale is not a Docker container, right? It is a fleet of Docker containers that you need to orchestrate and you need to figure out the CDN and all the rest. We take care of that for you. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to use oxygen. You could use hydrogen, query our GraphQL API, and run it on your own infrastructure. Totally fine. But I suspect that most folks will find a lot of value in just deferring that problem to Shopify to say, you guys know how to run commerce. Why don't you do that for me? So if this is a current bet, then what bumps do you see along the road? Like what, sure, you're in developer preview with hydrogen, you're in closed beta with oxygen. What are some of the bumps anticipated? What are some of the most technical challenges you're currently tackling as a team? What's the next few months for both of these projects? I think there's still a lot of unproven technology in the React space, right? So adopting suspense, adopting React server components. There's a promise of optimized bundles, but a lot of the tech is still being built. It is being experimented with right now by our teams. So I think all of those are solvable problems. The question is how quickly, right? Like, is it a month problem? Is it a three month problem or is it a 12 month problem? And I suspect that it might actually be a 12 month plus problem for the React ecosystem at large, but it might be a sh much shorter time frame for the needs of Hydrogen and Shopify. Because as I said earlier, we don't have to think about the existing ecosystem and how do we move them over and, and, and all the rest. So we can stack these technologies in a more opinionated way and, and kind of be more forward looking. At the same time, that also means that we need to spend a lot of time on education, which comes back to your earlier point of like, I'm not a React developer, where do I start? How do I learn about React server components? I think that's a role that we will have to play. We will have to partner with the React team to figure out how to tell that story right and make sure that like it, it actually resonates and lends right. Mm -hmm. On the platform side, running a production platform at scale is a non-trivial undertaking, right? So there's lots of work that we need to do under the hood to provide the right security, isolation. We have some very large stores running some very large record-setting sales, right? So we need, we need to ensure that we provide the right amount of scalability while at the same time maintaining efficiency, right? One could imagine that you isolate every, every shop to provide the best performance. You know, everyone lives on their own Docker container, but that quickly gets out of hand. So how do you navigate through those uh, waters as well? That's a lot of stuff that we have to think about that as a merchant, you shouldn't and won't have to think about, but there's still lots of questions to answer there. Mm -hmm. That said, once again, we come back to, this is about server-side streaming. This is about isolation, this is security. These are all problems that have been solved by smart people before. We'll solve them here. So it's more a question of timeline than it is about, you know, is this actually technically possible? Yeah, it's just a time problem, not a unproven concept problem. So when this is fully formed, do you imagine that developers will be able to create things that they can't currently create on Shopify? Or do you think this is more about speed to creation, developer experience, and the making the hard parts easy, not having to worry about the accessibility and the speed of the rendering and like a lot of the parts that you have to think about having that stuff taken care of as part of these components? Or do you think this is going to unlock new capabilities for devs? I think it is both. I think it is possible to do the things that we described, like really high performance, dynamic commerce with A-B testing and all the rest. But that has been the main of very few, very well-resourced engineering teams. Mm. 
typically at large organizations because you can only absorb that amount of cost and pain, technical pain at, at that scale. And because of that, I, I think we're not seeing the amount of innovation that we could, you know, in the kind of medium and, and the smaller scale merchants. Questions like A-B testing. A-B testing is still a dark art for most folks. It is technically complicated. Large organizations typically have to have entire engineering teams dedicated to the sort of thing. So one question that would be interesting to explore is, and this is, I think, both opportunity for Shopify and developers building apps on top of Shopify, is to think about how would you deliver an A-B testing experience that a non-technical merchant could actually understand? Yeah. And how do I provide that user interface that A, just allows them to create that test, but then manages the entire deployment while not destroying the performance of the website? Mm. It's possible to do A-B testing before. Typically how that's done is you drop a JavaScript snippet on your page, which blocks rendering. Then you get a beautiful WYSIWYG editor that you tweak the strings or, or, or description or price even. You hit save and it dynamically re-renders the page after it's loaded on the client. It's actually a really good merchant experience, but performance-wise, it's a disaster. Why can't we have both? And I think that's like, if you just tap on that and all the related questions around localization and pricing and discounts, there's so much to be built in the space still. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an opportunity for developers, as I said, to build apps and for Shopify as well. Do you think there'll be any ripples in the, in the water, so to speak, with regards to the greater developer community beyond Shopify from your work on hydrogen? It seems like oxygen's clearly, you know, Shopify's side functions, but the open source side of hydrogen, are there, is there fruit coming out of that for folks who aren't going to build on Shopify or is it all simply scoped to Shopify? I think so. Uh, I think the work that we're doing, for example, with the React core team to validate and prove out React server components will have a huge impact for the React ecosystem at large. I guess conditional on your belief that React server components are going to become the de facto standard for React. Mm -hmm. I am betting on that future. I think it's it's it will take time, especially if you have existing apps, but it feels right based on our experience. And we're working with a team now to figure out things like, yes, in theory, uh, it allows more effective bundles, right? So the idea is that you could isolate code that only lives on the server and not ever export it to the client. But in practice, like how do you actually hook that up? How do you make that work with Webpack? How do you make that work with Vite? And there's a lot of gnarly technical things that are still being built. So we're working through that now. And once that lands, that benefits everyone in the ecosystem, not just not just hydrogen. Cool. The final tweet in your thread, whenever you announced all this work and what you're doing here and whatnot, it mentions you peeking at your 2022 roadmap and saying, in quotes, much excite. What's on the horizon? What's got you so excited? What can you tease here on the show before we tail off? I have to be careful about what I can, I cannot say. <laughs> so I think the first and major milestone is getting this to production quality and getting real merchants shipping stores, right? That, that, that's the obvious next step. That's true for hydrogen. That's true for oxygen. I think there's a lot of potential for us to innovate on both. If we take them in order on oxygen side, yes, it's a worker runtime that accepts JavaScript code. But we're not just a generalized worker runtime. We're powering commerce. So what kind of specialized APIs and services that we can provide um, alongside that runtime 
that supercharge commerce. Like maybe it's something related to A-B testing. Maybe it is a better set of caching primitives. Maybe it's CDN. Like th th there's there's a lot of opportunity here. I like the maybes. <laughs> right, right. I like the maybes. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Yeah, so the, if you just put on your thinking hat and say like, if I was building a hosting platform specialized for commerce, what are all the fun toys and capabilities that I could add on there that really make it more fun, more easy and more scalable to build high performance storefronts. That's a different take than I need to build a general purpose runtime yeah. that allows you to run anything under the sun, right? Like, could you run a blog on the same infrastructure? Sure. <laughs> My guess is you'll find better tools for that though, yeah. because we're going to specialize in commerce. Mm -hmm. uh, in the same way for hydrogen, I think there's still a lot of unanswered questions on the actual technology choices as we just uh, described really investing into the components, following up on that vision of making them reusable, not just in hydrogen, but if you want to use them in other React frameworks, let's make that work. Also going one level down and saying, which of these can we hoist down into the web component layer, right? And just kind of bind into the React. So if you want to use another framework entirely, you shouldn't have to reinvent the product carousel. Like that should just be a thing. That, that you can just import right, and then customize to, to your needs. So expanding the options, I think, is, is another um, avenue with, with a lot of leverage for us. Very cool. Ilya, it's been, uh, it's been great catching up. I'm glad to have you back on this show. It's been too many years. Hopefully we get you back with some of these realizations, some of the, you know, the maybes of this roadmap solidified that can be talked through. Anything else left unsaid? Anything else we didn't ask you about that you want to share before we go? Try hydrogen.new. Type that into your browser. If you want to read the docs, hydrogen.shopify.dev. And please give us feedback. Cool. All right, Leo. It's great having you, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. That's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. What do you think about the proverbial floodgates being open for Shopify developers? Is this something you're considering? Are you excited about their moves to support React, React server components, and this hosted V8 JavaScript worker runtime? It's going to leverage all their platform. Is this exciting to you? Let us know in the comments. If you haven't yet, check out ChangeLaw++, support us directly, and make the ads disappear on all our shows. Check it out at changelaw.com slash plus plus. Up next is Jessica Lord on GitHub Sponsors and the origins of Electron. Also on deck is Dev Discuss from Dev. Right here on the ChangeLog, Jared and I guested their launch episode for season seven. So we're bringing that here for you. Thanks again to our partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for making all of our awesome beats. And of course, thank you to you for listening. If you enjoyed this show, do us a favor. Share it on Twitter, Reddit, Hacker News, anywhere that works for you. Word of mouth is by far the best way to help us grow this show. And of course, the Galaxy Brain Move is to subscribe to our master feed. That will get you all of our podcasts in one single feed. Check it out at changelog.com slash master. All right, that's it. This show's done. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time.